Trusting God through trying times, next on Abounding Grace. The Lord Jesus is coming back. And if you don't have Christ living in your life, you ought to be freaking out right now. The world should be freaking you out. It's like, what's going on? What's going to happen? It's a scary world that we're living in. Trying times. And yet we know what is coming. I've read the last chapter of the Bible. And the last chapter of the Bible says, in the end, we win. (laughs) There's a victory. There is accomplishment. You have to trust God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You This is Abounding Grace. So glad you could join us and find your place in Matthew 24 and Daniel 12 as we get ready for an exciting Bible study on the end times. Pastor Ed Taylor will be sharing the fourth and final installment in our series, Understanding the Times. Jesus is coming soon. I know the church has been saying that for centuries, but it's true. And his return is certainly closer today than it's ever been. While many will be taken by surprise when this eventually happens, that doesn't have to be the case for you. We can be ready and looking for it with eager anticipation. Here's Pastor Ed. Come back to Matthew now in verse 40. He says, two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. So you too must keep watch. You don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. And so another controversial passage, unfortunately, that is Jesus speaking of judgment, is he speaking of the rapture, Uh, As Jesus is here teaching about, uh, before we get into the controversy, I just want you to know the summary of what he's sharing with you is verse 44. Don't miss verse 44. You must be ready all the time. You must be ready, church, all the time. There should be a readiness in our hearts for the coming of the Lord. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I believe that the rapture of the church will happen before the great tribulation period. So that our focus and attention will be, coming, will be on the coming of the Lord. Not all the events listed in Revelation. Now, some people would say, well, I don't believe in the, the rapture at the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, I believe that there's not even going to be a rapture. And what they do to get there is they say, well, Revelation, don't even pay attention to Revelation. Because in order to dismiss a rapture, you have to get rid of the whole great tribulation period. And you know, large segments of the church have totally dismissed Revelation totally dismissed Ezekiel 38 and 39, totally dismissed even the things that we're teaching here, and it put it into what they call uh, apocalyptic literature. And that's just the way they wrote back then. And it really didn't mean much. It was just kind of written to encourage the first century. I agree. It was, it was written to encourage first century believers. I agree 100%. 
and second century believers and third century believers. And here we now are in the 21st century believers still awaiting the coming of the Lord. And you can't just dismiss and take out whole books of the Bible so that it fits your man-made theology. You have to come face to face with Jesus said to be ready for his coming. He said to be ready. He didn't say to look for the Antichrist. He didn't say to look for when the three and a half years. He didn't say to say, you know, when if the temple was built, then, a, then the clock starts. He said, I want you to live here. I'm going to make it real easy for you. Jesus said, I'm going to make it real easy for you. You live in the days of Noah. You live in the last days. Whatever days in which I want to make it easy for you. Always be ready for my soon return. You be looking for it. Anticipating it. Ready for it. Now, I know the different views on this, and I, I'm persuaded that this is a rapture passage. Because, you know, Jesus goes back and forth in the, all of the discourse, speaking of, as he, sh- as he would, the rapture of the church and the second coming. And I'm persuaded that this is one of those passages of the rapture. Uh, in verse 40, uh, the word taken, and also the word, verse 41, the word taken, is a Greek word that's used three other times in the New Testament. I'll just read them to you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, uh, it's used as the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, the same word is used, and it says six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a mountain to be alone. And it's used one other time in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, where Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this was not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then listen, he says, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a place in heaven. Then he says, when everything's ready, I'll come and get you so that you always be with me. So that phrase, get you, led up. Don't be afraid to take. Those phrases speak of a carrying away. It literally means to take you by force, to go quickly. And Jesus is saying, look, I want you to be ready because I'm coming back for you. And it's going to come as a surprise. And notice one of the reasons why I think in verse 40, this is a reference to the coming of the rapture of the church is because one's taken, one's left. So there's an event that there's, there's someone taken, but not everyone. And there are those that are left to continue to live. And it's going to come sudden and it's going to be a shock. And one of the shockways, remember, the rapture of the church isn't this event that's real clean and tidy. And then all of a sudden, kind of like the movies put it sometimes, you know, there's clothes laid out on the bed and a pair of shoes on the floor. And everybody wakes up the next morning going, oh, what happened? And people are missing. The rapture of the church will be a very cataclysmic event. It will be an upheaval of culture. That there will be a lot to, that goes on with the escape, with, the, with those that have escaped the coming tribulation. You know, you can think about it in some real practical ways. There'll be believers driving a bus at that time, gone. There'll be a believer flying planes at that time, gone. There'll, there'll be people in key places that love Jesus Christ, that'll be living their life, and in a twinkling of an eye, more, as fast as you can possibly, I mean, beyond your ability, to understand the timing, how fast it is, they'll be taken away. We'll be taken away. You know, the rapture means that there'll be a generation. There'll be a generation that will be alive on the earth that will not see death. Isn't that amazing? I want to be that generation. I want to be in the presence of the Lord. We could be that generation. The, the thing is, is that many times the world so encapsulates us that we don't want to be that generation. 
the afterlife and the heavenly world doesn't have the kind of attraction to us. We're so rooted in this world. We're not pilgrims. We're just putting our roots down. And we're wanting to put our roots down. But the rapture means that there's a generation that isn't going to see death. Secondly, the rapture is, speaks of a transformation. A transformation. The Bible says that we'll be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The rapture is instantaneous. It's going to happen immediately. Like two men are going to be working and boom, it's just going to happen. It's going to happen. They're going to be working. They're going to be grinding. One's taken, one's left. There's a move of God's spirit to come and rescue his church. So the summary in light of the rapture is to live with that, that hope that purifies us, that expectation. Jot it down. 1 John 3, 3 says, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure. That's the answer to purity. You're struggling with pornography tonight. You're struggling with lust. You're struggling with impurities. Listen, the answer to purity is this, the eager expectation of the coming of the Lord. He could come at any time. And that expectation of being reunited with your Savior automatically through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, purifies you. And you become more pure, not less. Come back to Matthew as we close the chapter. Verse 45, a faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he'll cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there'll be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. I want to be that faithful and wise servant. I hope you do too. Or is the new living a faithful and sensible servant? So that the master can give me more responsibility, not less. That he would see in me a trustworthiness, and that my life would be worthy of his trust. We are his servants, not because we have to be, but because we want to be. We think of his faithfulness and his goodness, and in our response, you know, the Bible describes us being bought with a price, being redeemed, being rescued. These are all valuable, beautiful words of relationship with God. And we're his servants. And with all the things happening around us, who is that wise and sensible man? Who is that wise and sensible woman that has chosen to serve the Lord no matter what? Who's the one that Jesus will find so doing when he returns? That he'll be put in charge, it says, verse 47, in all that he owns. All that he owns. And what will he find us doing? You know, I think if you're taking notes, I think that he'll see in the church evangelism. I think he'll find a, a sharing heart. I, I think he'll have, like, like one of the things he'll see is that, that broken heart in a man or a woman and wanting to extend. You know, you see the hurt and the pain. Um, I was on quite a few calls this morning myself just dealing with some difficult things. And, you know, it, it's... Man, sin, I, I think I ended up texting the brother after we hung up. I just I sent the phrase, sin stinks. It's, it's horrible. Like it, it wrecks lives. 
It causes so much confusion. It, it causes so much hurt and pain on the deepest of levels. Sinful behavior and sinful actions. And, and a person, when we get caught up in rebellious sin, not just the s- mistakes we make and the things, like when we get caught up in rebellious sin, we, we take no note of the consequences that other people are going to pay for that. We get to the place, fresh, especially as a believer, to such a backslidden state that there's no more care and concern. The ultimate, the ultimate essence of sin is selfishness. It's to serve self. It's to make sure that me, myself, and I are well taken care of. And, and then the people that love you and the people that are close to you, now they're shocked by the consequences of your sin being revealed. And let me just say this, and I think that the way the day lined up today was for a word from the Lord right now in this moment. Because some of you are in what, what would be considered secret sin, or you think it's a secret. And you're convinced right now that you're getting away with it. And you're convinced right now that nobody knows. And that up to this point, everything's been fine. And oh, it almost happened here. Oh, it almost got out there. Or just might have gotten caught there. But so far, oh, we got through in it. And you didn't take it as a time, as a God's grace in your life to repent. And you didn't take it as a gift from the Lord to say, no, no, I, I could reveal this at any time. And, and I will reveal this any time. And let me just say this. The secret sin, what you consider secret sin in your life, I, I'll tell you this with absolute authority, both biblically and by experience. Your secret sin will always be revealed at the absolute worst time in your life. It will be the absolute worst time in your life. You will not be able to control the timing. You will not be able to control the consequences. You will not be able to control the emotions of those the people that li- live with you, that love you. You will not be able, you, you think because it's secret and nobody really knows that you have control. But even as I speak, you have no control. You have presented yourself, the Bible says, as a slave to sin and unrighteousness. And your master is the devil in your flesh. By your own willingness. It didn't take, take over you cooperated, and it will be revealed at the worst possible time. There can be a less worse time, and that is your repentance. It'll be painful nonetheless. But if you choose to acknowledge and repent of your sin, believer, God will meet you there in mercy. It'll be painful, but God will meet you there in mercy. He will meet you there in his love and grace. He'll meet you there with the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin. I know what I shared preceding this is hard and, and challenging, but it needs to be. But don't let the hard and challenging word displace the love and mercy and the forgiveness of God. The Bible says this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. And so you, you, in the last days, you've got to understand the height of sin will be so high that we just get used to it. We just don't even deal with it anymore. Whole churches and whole movements of churches will be so influenced to, to help people be happy and help people get their life together and help people go, you know, I know life is hard right now, but life's going to get better, that they no longer acknowledge the true root of why life isn't good right now. It's because of sin. It's because of the world's sin and it's because of our own personal sin. That willful disobedience 
our willful decisions against what we know to be right. And so I just pray for you today, living in the last days, that you're not living in what you think is secret sin tonight, that you would come clean. And believe me, we've walked through a lot of things, you know, it's, well, Ed, if I come clean, I'll lose it all. Listen, friend, you've lost it all already. It's gone. You're just going to throw yourself upon the mercy of God that he might restore it to you. Because you know God restores. So, oh, Ed, I don't know. I, if, if, I, if I come clean, they'll never forgive me. Listen, look in, listen, you're living a lie right now. There's not even truth in your relationship. So what is forgiveness? Like, before you ever get to forgiveness, you've got to get to truth. You've got to come back to a truthful relationship. And honest, forthright, walking in the light. The Bible says that if we, in 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's true for every marriage. That's true for every relationship, son, daughter, mom, dad. It's been a banner of our staff for many years now. God infused that in us. We've got to walk in the light. As painful as it is and as hard as it might be, we've got to speak truth to one another so that the Lord might cleanse us and wash us from all our failures, all our difficulties. That's true for our staff here at the church, our pastors, our our families, our leaders. As a church, we need to walk in the light. If there's no one else that's willing to walk in the light, we as believers here at Calvary Church must choose to walk in the light. As painful as it might be, As many deep breaths as we have to take, we need to walk in the light and be honest with one another and let the Holy Spirit mend us. In these last days, we need to be found doing the work of the Lord. We don't want to be, like it says in verse 48, if the servant is evil and starts to think about, oh, the Lord's not coming back. Like, not only do you not think that, but like you just start getting caught up in the world. And he says right there, he says, you just, you're partying, getting drunk. You go, oh, I don't party, I don't get drunk. Well, in another place, Jesus speaks about how just the cares of this life, he puts them in the same category as partying and getting drunk. He says, look, just this life to sap your spiritual life, to take away your joy. What have we been called to do? We've been called to evangelize. We've been called to worship. We've been called to serve. We've been called to sacrifice. We've been called to self-sacrificial love. But the opposite is so prevalent today as whole many churches and movements have just abandoned the true teaching of the gospel and are just trying to put band-aids on a, world, on a, on a life that isn't going to last forever. Remember Abraham, I'm just so enthralled with Abraham as we're studying through the book of Hebrews together. How he knew he was a stranger and a pilgrim. And the motivation, without any of the Bible that we have today, the new covenant, without knowing Jesus, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, without the upon experience, the baptism, without any of that, Abraham lived a life as a model for us, looking for that city, what, whose builder and maker is God. Don't hear that on the news very much, do you? Hey, no, there's crime in this city and crime in that city. But hey, everybody, we're looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. You guys see that on the news? Record it for me. Unless they have somebody interviewed, that's not the message. The message is doom and gloom. You know, the church is often, pastors, I'm often accused, oh, you're just doom and gloom. No, no, no. This world is doom and gloom. I have the hope of the gospel I'm sharing with you. There is more to life than your current bank account. 
then the stack of bills, then the flat tire, then the bus being late, then the furlough, then the layoff. There is more to life than the apartment, than the house, than the rent. There is more to life. His name is Jesus Christ, and he loves you and gave his life for you. And there is a city whose builder and maker is God. And don't let the pressures of this life take away that faithful servant who when, his, when, when Jesus returns, he finds you so doing. When he shows up, you're evangelizing. When he shows up, you're sh- worshiping. When he shows up, it's, it's not even that much of a translation because you're just worshiping the Lord and then you're right in the presence of the Lord. And it's not even that big a change. Don't be silenced. Don't, don't be a grumbler or a complainer. You know, you think about that. Evangelism, the opposite is silence and apathy. You think of that worship, the, the opposite of that is grumbling and complaining. You think of service, the, the opposite of that is laziness and serving self. You think of sacrifice, the opposite of that is selfishness and greed. You think of love, the opposite of that is hatred and malice. And I hope you believe the Lord is coming soon because he is. It's sobering to think that Jesus spoke, you know, as he ends this section about gnashing of teeth, uh, weeping. You know, this is a section describing hell, an eternal separation from God. You know, Jesus spoke more on hell than any other person in the Bible. He did that because he knew what it's like, and he wanted to warn us to stay away, and he provided himself as a substitute so that we might avoid a Christless eternity. And I invite anybody here, anybody watching, anybody listening on Grace FM, I invite you to come to Jesus if you haven't done that yet. The Lord Jesus is coming back. And if you don't have Christ living in your life, you ought to be freaking out right now. The world should be freaking you out. It's like, what's going on? What's going to happen? It's a scary world that we're living in. Trying times. And yet we know what is coming. I've read the last chapter of the Bible. And the last chapter of the Bible says, in the end, we win. (laughs) There's a victory. There is accomplishment. You have to trust God. You've got to put your trust in him. And if you don't know the Lord, these are scary times. That's why you need Christ in your life right now. Have you asked him to come in? Jesus, who gave these very words on the Mount of Olives. One day I hope we get to go back to, to, to Israel and take you there. We will stand on the Mount of Olives. We will be there looking down on the city. We'll sit in, in a guy's backyard and we'll do a Bible study there and we'll worship right on the Mount of Olives looking down into the city, into the Temple Mount there. Jesus that was there 2,000 years ago and shared these words to warn us today. And you know what they did? They crucified him. A barbaric, torturous way to die. Very painful. And yet Jesus Christ died willingly and shed his blood for us because he knew there was no other way that we could come into a relationship with God that we've been separated. He died for you and loves you. Even if you need to be reminded of that tonight, church, Jesus died for you and he loves you and God can forgive you. You have to be willing to turn from your sin to experience that forgiveness. Jesus died for you, loves you, and wants to forgive you. We hope you'll accept that challenge to receive that forgiveness, if you haven't already, through simple faith in what Christ did at the cross. Pastor Ed Taylor is on the final leg of his journey through Daniel here on Abounding Grace. In fact, we'll finish it up by week's end. You can hear these radio programs on our website any time of the day or night at AboundingGraceRadio.com. 
Another way to grow on the go is by downloading our app. Search for Calvary Aurora. And we have a couple of podcasts, too. You can listen to Abounding Grace and Lead to Serve in Apple Podcasts. By the way, that's Lead, the number two, Serve. In it, Pastor Ed discusses the value of servant leadership. We couldn't be more excited about the new book Pastor Ed has written, and it couldn't come at a better time. It's called God's Help for the Troubled Heart. I don't have to convince you that people are suffering in large measure all around us. And maybe you have been too. You've been laid off at work, or you recently got the virus, or are disturbed by what's happened in the recent election. You're anxious and greatly troubled. Well, God wants to meet you right where you're at. This book will remind you that Jesus will bring you through your trial, and you're not alone. Request a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart today. Maybe order an extra one, too, to give to a friend. We'll send it to you for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE. And please remember that your gifts help to make this possible. We look to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that will do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will again open the Word in search of abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.